This morning we're going to be in Isaiah 45. The series that we're in in this second Sunday of Advent is called Into His Marvelous Light. You'll notice that on the bulletin cover and it will be present each Sunday of Advent. And the reason is because we're taking this phrase from 1 Peter, the, the book that we have been studying all semester and will continue after Advent. But in, in 1 Peter 2, he talks about how the Lord has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. And so from that, last week, Chad Scruggs preached about let there be light, taking us to Genesis. And each Sunday, we're going to trace these various themes of light in the Scripture. And we come to one in the book of Isaiah that's really profound, because it speaks not only of light being created by God, but also darkness. And so let's turn to the Word of God. Again, Isaiah 45, I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. Thus says the Lord to His anointed to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped, to subdue nations before him and to loose the belts of kings, to open doors before him that gates may not be closed. I will go before you and level the exalted places. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes in secret places that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who called you by your name. For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel, my chosen, I call you by your name. I name you, though you do not know me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all things. Shower, O heavens, from above, and let the clouds rain down righteousness. Let the earth open, that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them both to sprout. I, the Lord, have created it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Lord, I pray that you have blessed this time of your preached word. I pray that we would soak in it and that we would be transformed by it and that you would illuminate every heart and mind, including my own, to see anew who you are, your glory, and your grace. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you this morning have professed faith in Jesus Christ, like those standing before us just a few moments ago, you would say, I am a Christian. Then this is the truth for you. You have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. That has already happened for you. And that is a work, a, a perfect work of God through the, the sending of His Son and the powerful work of His Holy Spirit. You have been called out of darkness into His marvelous light. But what that doesn't mean is that this side of heaven, you will not or never experience darkness. All of us who live in Christ on this journey, which we have been talking about towards our eternal home, are going to continue to experience darkness. 
even though we've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light, even though we're perfectly known by him, we still live in a broken world. And as we live in this broken world, there are going to be moments when the darkness is a profound reality to us. We're going to experience that as individuals. We're going to experience that as couples. We're going to experience that in our, our families. And we're going to experience that as a church. We have, for the last 25 years, experienced that reality. And we're going to experience that all the way until the Lord calls us home or returns. That's just the reality of living in a broken world. So here's what that means. A few minutes ago, when you shook someone's hand, unless you know them very well, you have no idea really what their story is. You have no idea what darkness they may have lived in this week. Whether that was darkness surrounding a broken relationship, darkness centered on a habitual sin, darkness that's centered on a season of despair or depression. You have no idea whether or not they have come out of a season of darkness and now are experiencing relief and peace that they've not known for some time. But you do know this because you're a human being, that darkness is a reality and that God is faithful to us even in the midst of that darkness. And so we as believers, as human beings in Christ, live in this very interesting season. We live in this season of life where we know who we already are. And we also know something of what's to come. But we also know the reality that we are either in the midst of darkness and trial, coming out of darkness and trial, or heading into darkness and trial. That is the reality of our life. And when we're in the midst of it, so much can happen because the pain can be so great. Think about darkness for a moment. The Bible speaks about darkness approximately 200 times. Darkness is a main character in the history of redemption. Now there's physical darkness that the Word of God speaks about. Literally, day ends and night comes. There's physical darkness that Hebrews talks about being so thick that you can actually touch it. Have you ever seen darkness like that? They also, the Word of God also speaks about darkness being so dark that people are groping in it, trying to find their way. Physical darkness is a reality. The Word of God also speaks of darkness as spiritual darkness. In fact, Paul talks about this battle that we're in, not being against flesh and blood, but a battle that's taking place and it's described as in this present darkness. Then there's another way in which the Word of God speaks about darkness, and that's figuratively or as a metaphor. And so people can say, I've gone through a dark night of the soul. And that dark night actually might be in the middle of the day. But there is something happening to them. Where is God in the midst of that? Whenever an individual or a couple or a family or a larger family like our church goes through darkness, people ask those questions. Questions like why, where, when, how, all centered on the wonder of where God is 
and what he is doing in the midst of real pain. Time and time again, people will tell me when they know of one of our members is going through a horrific time, the loss of a child, the loss of a spouse, some other really profound pain, they'll say, I don't know how they do it. The truth is, we actually do. We do know how they make it. We do know why they're able to survive. We do know why they can actually come to church and can actually sing, though singing may take some time. The answer is because we worship Sunday after Sunday and day after day a faithful God. A God who in his word never promised this side of heaven to remove the darkness. But a God who promised for all who are in Christ one day there would be no more darkness. And while he didn't promise to take away the pain this side of heaven, the Lord has promised to be with us, to never forsake us, to lead us. And those people who go through those moments that are so hard, and I know many of them, they see that profound faithfulness of God. And they see the faithfulness of God conforming them to the image of His Son. And while they would never long for that tragedy to happen to anyone else or to them again, They see God in it. And that's where I want to go this morning. The people of Israel, God's people, were being led by him from the beginning. But they forgot. And they rebelled. And when they would face moments of of darkness, the temptation for them was to run from God, to find another God, to put their hope somewhere else. And when they would do that, there would be judgment and then the Lord would show mercy. We're so like them, aren't we? When we go through dark seasons, the temptation is to forget the goodness and greatness of God. When we go through dark seasons, the temptation is to ask questions about God, but really not seek necessarily the answers or accept the answers he's given. And so darkness can be very dangerous if we're not really willing to listen to the Lord. And that's what I want so much to happen for you today and for me. And Isaiah takes us there. Isaiah is being used by God to reveal himself to the people of Israel. And they're in a dark season and a darker season is still coming. And the Lord is using his human vessel, Isaiah, to proclaim through prophecy who he is, even in the midst of darkness. And that's what God does. In the midst of our darkness, he reveals so much about who he is, even though he doesn't necessarily take away the pain. The reason this is really important for us is because we know the pain of which I'm talking about. We know the potential of the pain in which I'm talking about. And we know that the world, whether people have embraced Jesus or not, understand the reality of living in a broken world. And because we're in Christ, and because of who he is, we have something to say. So what is it we need to say? It's actually what God says to us. Let's look at Isaiah for a few minutes. 
The first thing you're going to note about this section of Scripture is that Isaiah says something, or the Lord says it through Isaiah, that would utterly have confused them. They would have already felt some sense of darkness and wonder where they should go, but when the Lord calls in verse 1, Cyrus, his anointed, the people of Israel would have been shocked. Cyrus is not a godly man. Cyrus is a pagan. The word anointed attached to Cyrus would have been shocking. And the reason it would have been shocking is because that word anointed was reserved for kings like David. And what they were waiting for was that new David. They were waiting for that line to continue, that Davidic line of, of a great and glorious king. But now the Lord is saying through his prophet Isaiah, it's going to be Cyrus. He is the anointed one, even though he doesn't even know God. Shocking. Sometimes in our life, the Lord will do things that make very little sense to us. And what we must remember always as the Lord moves is that he sees the whole canvas and we can only go to certain edges. What we need to understand is that God is much wider than us and much longer and much wiser. And so when we find ourselves in darkness, being confused about a situation or a circumstance or about a condition or a place that we find ourselves, the Lord reveals himself to us through his word, just as he did through Isaiah. And what does he say? It's pretty amazing. First, he says in the midst of the darkness, I alone am God. Maybe, maybe write it down this way. The Lord says, I am solely God. Look with me at verse five. Isaiah says, the Lord says through Isaiah, I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. The end of verse 6, I am the Lord, and there is no other. You're in a church that's called Park City's Presbyterian Church. It's a member of a denomination called the Presbyterian Church in America. And the Presbyterian Church in America, and therefore this church, believes that what God declares in Isaiah 45, and what God declares from the beginning of Genesis to the end, is that He solely is God. There is no other. In the world in which we live, and this isn't new, by the way, we want to embrace the idea that there are many gods. We want to embrace the idea that you can embrace Jesus, but you can also embrace other ways. My friends, that's not what he said. In the Old Testament, in this prophetic voice, the Lord is saying, I alone am God. There are no other gods. There is no God besides me. 
And what Jesus says when He comes incarnate and walks upon this earth, He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And then He says, no one comes to the Father except through Me. What Jesus is saying is what Isaiah is declaring. And what the Lord is declaring is that He alone is God. And so you have found your way to a place today. And if you believe that, then guess what? It means that he, His light, the light of lights, has illuminated the darkness in your heart and mind just like He did mine, that I can actually believe that. More than that, I can actually stand up and say it's true. Even though if most of the world heard what I said, they would mock me. They would call for me to have tolerance. They would accuse me of all sorts of things. But all I am doing is saying what the living God has said for all time. Between now and the moment that the Lord returns, standing up for that truth will cost you, I believe, more and more. Maybe not jail time. Maybe not persecution in the sense of some places in the world where we have brothers and sisters and churches that we've planted in certain regions of this world where if they go back to their little village and say, I believe in Jesus, they're kicked out. But you might lose friends. You might have an opportunity to be promoted, but when somebody finds out that you belong to a church like this or believe like this, that goes away. In the midst of darkness, the first thing that God reveals to us is that he alone is God. There's two important words there. Alone. Alone means solo. And God. This God that says he alone is God is God. And what that means is, in the midst of your darkness, he alone sees everything. In the midst of your darkness, he alone can learn nothing about you or the darkness. In the midst of your darkness, he alone is fully present. You know what that means? That though the darkness feels omnipresent, only God is omnipresent. He is more present than the pain that you feel. Only God, God alone, he is God. What does the Lord say first in the midst of our darkness? I am solely God. The second thing he says, and it's not word for word here, but it's clear, is that I am sovereign. The sovereignty of God is expressed often in our worship services like this. During the profession of faith, one of our pastors will stand up. He will ask you what it is you believe. One of the questions that we frequently ask is, what is the only comfort that you have in life and death? And then together with one voice, this is what we say, or a portion of what we say. I believe that I belong 
body and soul, in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who at the cost of his own blood has fully paid for all my sins and has completely freed me from the dominion of the devil. You've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. That doesn't mean the devil doesn't have influence. That doesn't mean you aren't going to experience darkness. But you've been freed from that dominion. And then he goes on. We go on. That he, now listen to this, protects me so well that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. He is solely God and he is sovereign. He governs and controls all of his creatures and all their activities. But that's hard for us at times because when dark things happen, when we experience the brokenness of this earth, we ask those really hard questions, questions which God can handle, I promise you. And he brings us to a passage like this where he reveals his sovereignty. And he says in verse seven, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. God is sovereign. We cannot comprehend his will with perfection, but he has told us his will is good, pleasing, and perfect. And when we go through those seasons where it doesn't seem that way because the pain is too great, where is he? He's where he has revealed himself to be. And he's who he has revealed himself to be. And who he has revealed himself to be is solely God and sovereign. And what he promises is not to take away the pain, even the greatest of pains, until eternity. But he has promised to give us himself. He has promised, and this is my final point, to be sufficient. He is solely God, he is sovereign, and he is sufficient. And what that sufficiency means is this, that no matter what darkness you're going through, no matter how great the pain, his grace, he himself is sufficient for whatever you are going through. How do I know? First, because he says it. Second, because of the calling he has given me, I have seen probably more darkness than anyone in here looking at me. I see darkness in the lives of people every day. And for those who are in Christ, I watch them live out the reality of who he is. I walk with people through those doors who have experienced unbelievable tragedy. And I hear a mom who's lost a son look at the congregation as they stand and quietly say, he is so good. His word says it. 
And I see it. I see it in the way he faithfully overwhelms people with his light, even in the midst of darkness. And it's beautiful, and it's encouraging, and it gives hope. And my guess is that a moment or two ago when you shook hands with somebody, they either have a story like that, know that they might. And the reason that is important is because God gives us the gift of seeing his faithfulness even in the midst of the darkness. In 2 Corinthians, Paul, in a very vulnerable moment, cried out to the Lord. A very dark, dark moment in his life. He said, God, take this from me. It was a thorn in his flesh. And what did the Lord say? In a word, no. No. My grace is sufficient for you. And it is. His grace is sufficient even when the Lord says no. One final comfort, if I might. Jesus Christ, the one whom we celebrate coming to this earth during this season, was on his own sojourn. He left his home. And he came to this earth that he created. And the star shone brightly as the shepherds and the sages came. But he knew that he was embarking upon a journey that would take him to a dark night, physically dark, spiritually dark, and even figuratively dark. It was the dark night of his soul where he never sinned. But in that darkness, Jesus cried out to his father, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. And the reason he was there is because he was proclaimed to be the anointed one. But the people of God couldn't see that either. And so there is Christ, the perfect man, the perfect sacrifice, crying out to the Lord in that garden, if you are willing, take this cup from me. And in a word, the Lord said, the Father said, no. Jesus said, not your, my will, but your will be done. And it was. It was the will of the Father during that dark night not to rescue his son from that darkness, that torment of the soul. And so Jesus went to the cross. And as he went to the cross, the earth then experienced its darkest day. A physical darkness came upon the earth so thick it could be felt, I'm sure. And it was when Jesus cried out, the anointed one, it is finished. And in the darkness of that tomb, our Savior dead. Soon was raised. The rock removed. Our Savior not there testifying to the reality of what he said would happen. That he conquered death and rose and then ascended and now reigns and promises to return so that one day, one day, all who trust in him will experience darkness 
no more. Have you trusted in him solely? He is the sovereign God. He alone is sufficient. I'm going to pray. Then you're going to listen to a piece of music. And then as I call you to stand, we will sing. And we'll be singing of this light and this darkness. But first, be still and pray with me. Father in heaven, we sit quietly this morning because as I preach, we know people who are hurting or who have been hurting. We have fears that it could one day be us. And we know what's been said is true. And Lord, we come really hopeful that you would reveal yourself to us. And you have because you promised to do so. I would ask though, Lord, if there is anyone in here that doesn't know you, that has never trusted in you alone for salvation, that you would speak to them now and illuminate their heart and minds. God, if there's anybody in here going through unbearable pain in their heart and mind, I pray that you would reveal to them that you're sufficient and you would do that in whatever way is necessary. And Lord, as we just continue in the season of Advent, worshiping you, we pray that we would know that in the midst of darkness, there is no night that can still the promises of his coming what it has brought us. God, bless us. Thank you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.